Hi there, folks. This is your host, Michelle Ann Olson, and you are listening to Are You Afraid of the Bark? The podcast that goes bark in the night. Welcome, dearest listeners, to this episode 20 of the podcast. And isn't it so fantastic to have reached episode 20? I'm quite proud of myself, and I'm really happy that you're still here with me after all this time. It's a pleasure. So last week's episode was a lot of fun. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I got some really positive feedback about it. I was exploring, of course, urban legends featuring dogs, getting into a lot of classic urban legends that many of us have heard before, revisiting stories like the licking dog and the choking Doberman, these really fantastic urban legends featuring dogs in particular. So this week, I decided that I would keep the good times going, and I tried to find urban legends featuring our feline friends, for our cat lovers out there. I myself, I love dogs, I love all animals, but I'm probably, first and foremost, a cat person, a crazy cat lady more specifically, so I thought I would seek out urban legends featuring cats. The interesting thing is that there weren't those classic urban legends about cats in the same vein as the licking dog or the choking Doberman or the little black dog. What I did find about cats, though, was that they carry with them a bad reputation across time and across cultures. They're not the subject of urban legends that come specifically out of this modern age that often have a word of truth or warning at their core, these oral cautionary tales that so often seem rooted in the dangers of modern life or modern living happened to a friend of a friend of mine. Wasn't able to find stories so much like that, but what I found is that the superstitions about cats, superstitions that paint them most often as tricksters or malevolent beings, those superstitions are strong and run across time, starting in the 1700s in the case of the first story that I'll tell all the way through to modern times, these superstitions that cats can't seem to shake. So that is what this episode is about. Feline superstitions. And what's interesting is that in the urban legends about dogs that I told, so often the dog was loyal, right? The choking Doberman saving his owner from the man hidden in the closet to the point where it almost cost him his life. Even the little black dog from scary stories to tell in the dark, continuing to haunt the man who killed his master until that man met his own end. These are loyal animals in these stories. Like always, the dog comes out on top as the hero. Well, almost always when you think about what happened to the poodle and the poor licking dog. But the the dog is the hero, right? He's loyal. And cats in these superstitions, in these beliefs, in these legends, in these myths that seem to just plague them, they're rarely the hero. They're more often than not the villain. So I wanted to present a few superstitions and myths that seem to have followed cats throughout history to talk a little bit about them and whether or not there's any truth to them. Spoiler alert, there very rarely is. The first myth or legend that I'm going to address is one that you've probably heard of, and it's one that was explored on a previous older episode of this podcast back when I had a 
co-host. I believe that this was a topic that she covered briefly in those days, but worth mentioning again. This is a myth, a prevalent myth, concerning cats and concerning the belief that they are in some way evil, jealous beings. And this is the myth that cats steal away babies' breath. For centuries, especially in England and following immigrants from England to the New World, it was believed, and to a certain extent is believed today, that a cat is liable to climb into an infant's crib and suck the child's breath until it suffocates and dies. So in some versions of the tale, the cat is jealous because the newborn infant has suddenly deprived it of affection and attention, and this act in those cases is seen as deliberate, as deliberately wanting to harm the child. And in other versions of the story, it's not jealousy, but the scent of milk on the baby's breath that draws the cat in close enough, maybe even with its heavy weight pressing down on the baby, that the baby ends up injured or killed. This is a very old myth, a very old legend. In fact, as far back as 1791, a jury at a coroner's inquest in Plymouth, England, found a cat guilty of infanticide in that way. Like I said, that belief followed settlers to the New World from Europe to North America. In 1929, the Nebraska State Journal printed a report from a doctor who said that he had witnessed a house cat, quote, lying on the baby's breast, a paw on either side of the babe's mouth, the cat's lips pressing against those of the child, and the infant's face as pale as that of a corpse, its lips with the blueness of death, end quote. Now, of course, those myths are not based in reality. <laughs> There is no proof that a cat has ever done this, certainly not on purpose. It's not to say that injury to a newborn baby has never come over the course of history from a cat. It's true that we should always watch our young children with our pets because we can't be sure of their behavior, and even something as simple as a cat bite or scratch could be disastrous to a young baby. But this malevolence, this idea of evil of sucking the life out of a baby. It's simply not based in any reality. And yet this myth persists. As recently as the 2000s, there was a case where the woman claimed that she came upon her baby dead in its crib with the cat lying next to it. And she believed for all the world that the cat was responsible for her baby's death. But an inquiry into the child's passing showed that the child had in fact passed away from sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS. And this is likely always with these urban tales, these myths, these legends, they can almost always be traced back to a grain of truth. And I have to wonder, and certainly historians have wondered, whether these stories of the cat stealing the baby's breath came about as a way to explain sudden infant death syndrome or just the sudden death of an infant or child, the parents were perhaps looking for a scapegoat. Cats were seen as witches' familiars, as emissaries of the devil himself. What better animal found in your home to blame for your baby's tragic and unexpected passing? I see this legend as a way for people to cope with the fact that to this day, sometimes very young children die in their sleep and we're not sure why and we don't know how to prevent it. 
There's another related legend that purports that if a kitten and a baby are raised up together side by side, the cat will thrive throughout the child's life as the child starts to simply fade away with the idea that the cat is stealing the child's vitality by its magic. And that idea too seems based in actual science, actual medicine, the idea that especially in centuries past, cats can carry intestinal parasites like tapeworms or even be infected with consumption or tuberculosis, which are zoonotic, which can be passed on to humans. So that legend, the idea of the cat stealing away the baby's vitality, parasites, and tuberculosis as diseases, as courses of illness, manifest as an apparent loss of vitality, these wasting diseases. And maybe the idea of not having a kitten and baby grow up side by side has more to do with a warning about hygiene and the potential for those animals to make a young child and their weak immune system sick than any basis in actual black magic or the supposed wickedness of cats. So always at the core of these stories is that little nugget of truth. So last week, I told a story called The Licking Dog. And like I said in my introduction, I did have a hard time finding true urban legends about cats. You know, it happened to a friend of a friend of mine kind of stories. And yet I did find this story not so much an urban legend as an anecdote shared by one woman that was then perhaps foolishly perpetuated by the media to the point where it's almost reached urban legend status. And oddly enough, this is about not a licking dog, but a licking cat. Now this story aired, I'll tell it, as it aired on the BBC in 2000. It was some kind of special about basically wisdom coming out of your home or your family and somebody told this story as a warning about cats and about the ways in which they could be quite malevolent or even bloodthirsty. So this was the story that was aired on the BBC and as a result it caused this kind of mini panic as people started to wonder if it was really true, and if this is something that they should start to worry about with their own pet cats. So the story goes as follows. A friend's mother-in-law had a very affectionate cat that loved to lick her feet. It licked and groomed her feet just like it would groom another cat. Sometimes when she was dozing by the fire, the cat would knock her slippers off and lick the soles of her feet. The rasping of its rough little tongue would soon wake her up, especially at cat feeding time, when it gently nibbled her toes to remind her of the time. One evening, she was slow to wake and the cat became impatient. Having licked the soles of her feet and nibbled her toes to no avail, it then bit her ankle hard enough to draw blood. Unfortunately, it punctured a major blood vessel and the owner bled to death right there in front of the fire. And the real scary thing about it? When my friend's husband found the body, the cat was still licking the blood from the mother-in-law's feet. So that's the story that appeared on the BBC. And this was told by some listener who submitted her story. I think it was told over the radio. 
hard to say whether this story is based in any kind of fact or not, but what's interesting is that other versions of the same tale exist. And then it starts to have this characteristic of the urban legend more so than any one incident that happened to one particularly unfortunate pet owner. If the story is told again and again and starts to mutate and have different versions, it sounds like it has more so the characteristics of an urban legend than an actual true piece of news reportage. So in some versions of the story, the woman, by the way, it happens to a friend's mother-in-law. That sounds an awfully lot like a friend of a friend of mine. So in some versions, the woman, the friend's mother-in-law, gets an infection from the cat bite and dies of blood poisoning. It's true that cat bites can become quite badly infected, and there is something called cat scratch fever. If you get a cat scratch, you should absolutely monitor it for signs of infection because there are certain bacteria that lives in a cat smell or on its claws that can cause infection but even the idea of the cat nibbling on its owner's toes to the point where she gets an infection and dies I mean it's it's pretty outlandish it's it's definitely larger than life Regardless of the ending, whether the woman dies by bleeding out or from infection, the myth basically is suggesting that cats can't be trusted. So when this woman shared her story on this particular news broadcast that seems to be the source of this story, she was actually warning listeners to straight up get rid of their cats. That was her recommendation. So even when being affectionate, cats can have ulterior motives. That seems to be the lesson at the core of this story. In this case, not only did the cat have an ulterior motive for its affection, i.e. trying to get fed, that sounds familiar to me, as with my own cat Coco, so not only does it have an ulterior motive for its very affection, but it shows its untrustworthiness by biting the owner and causing her death. The fact that the cat didn't intend to kill her is, of course, immaterial. It's the untrustworthy nature of felines that is the supposed moral of this tale. There's another version of the foot-licking tale that relates to an old granny who lived in a poorly heated flat. The circulation in her feet was not very good, but in the winter it got so that she couldn't feel her toes at all. One morning she woke up to find the bedsheets tucked up to her ankles and her beloved cat licking her feet. How sweet, she thought. My cat is trying to lick some life back into my poor old toes. Then she noticed the bloody stains on the sheet. During the night, her cat had gnawed away three of the old woman's unfeeling toes. So, they're all variations on a theme. That is really the closest that I came to finding a true urban legend about cats. These other stories that I'm telling seem more based in superstition or cultural distrust of cats as some kind of dark or magic or even evil animal. Now that belief was so prevalent in some cultures and in some time periods that some people believe that the stare of a cat itself can bring about illness or insanity or even cause death. And that fear of cats is known as allurophobia. And there are several even famous people throughout history who have been victim to the superstitions and myths surrounding cats as to develop allurophobia. Henry III of England would apparently faint at the very sight of a cat. Adolf Hitler himself with all of his plans for global domination, all of his true evilness, apparently the very sight of a cat could set him trembling. Such was his fear. And Napoleon Bonaparte once spotted a cat in his palace and was filled with such dread that he could do nothing but stay rooted in place and call for help. 
Speaking of Bonapartes, Joseph Bonaparte, the king of Naples, visited Saratoga Springs in 1825 and complained just before fainting that he sensed a cat's presence. Although his hosts assured his majesty that no such animal was anywhere present, a persistent search later revealed a kitten hiding in a sideboard. So I find that pretty interesting, that he did feel some kind of malevolent force presence without the cat ever revealing itself. That is interesting. Though whether his fainting was a result of hysteria on his part or an actual action of the cat, it's hard to say. Another belief, superstition, legend concerning cats comes out of Europe, in particular Portugal. It was thought to be ill-advised for a pregnant woman to pick up a cat or let it sleep in her lap. It was once said that the cat will afflict the baby with a wart or a mole if she does so, usually an especially hairy one. And in England, it was even thought that if the woman picks up a cat while pregnant, the baby will either be born with a cat-shaped birthmark or with the face of the cat itself. More benign superstitions and legends exist about our feline friends. For example, in England, it's said that if you watch a cat's behavior, you can successfully predict the weather. So a cat who claws at the curtains or the carpet is predicting windy weather. The Welsh specifically believed that rain was coming when a cat's pupil broadened or expanded. Rain is foretold if a cat busily washes its ears, or if a cat looks out the window on any given day, rain is on the way. And if a cat sleeps with all four paws tucked under its body, also, rain is on the way. And if it sleeps on its back, rain is on the way. So basically, if a cat does anything, it's gonna rain. But what's interesting to note, again, at the core of these superstitions is the fact that cats do have a superior nervous system that might allow them to sense weather before it happens. You know, maybe if you own cats or dogs, that in particular, thunderstorms and drops in barometric pressure can cause these animals to act very nervously, very anxiously. So it is possible that cats sense changes in the weather before they happen. And when it comes to particular grooming habits, electricity in the air can actually cause them to rub at their ears or even lick their fur. But as to their various sleeping positions, I'm not sure that those actually have any correlation with the weather. And I'd like to wrap up the podcast with what I think is a kinder, gentler superstition or legend surrounding cats. And this comes from a certain sect of Buddhism that was once practiced in the former kingdoms of Siam and Burma. And this sect of Buddhism held that if you die, and if you're holy enough, your soul would be transferred to a cat for safekeeping. In these religions, the cat was not feared or seen as a thing of evil but rather seen as a powerful and benevolent magical being. So in this way, special souls lived on in a kind of purgatory in the cat. And when that cat died, the chaste soul would finally ascend to paradise. So cats are held in high regard by this sect. They're depicted as sleeping directly at the feet of Buddha. So Siam is now Thailand, but a ritual is still strictly observed during the coronation of a new Thai king to present him with a live cat, Siamese, of course, fully adorned in gold jewelry. And in this way, it's thought that the spirit of the old king is able to witness the coronation through the cat's eyes. So that's a much lovelier, 
superstition, legend, myth about cats. Most of these tales, unfortunately, seem focused on the idea that they are, if not tricky, downright untrustworthy, or even evil. So this brings me to the end of this episode 20. We enter a new phase of the podcast, the 20s, <laughs> the 20s, um, the roaring 20s, I hope. So thank you as always for joining me today with this episode. I've been talking to a few people on social media who have mentioned that they might be interested in sharing either their own stories of supernatural encounters with animals or potentially even recording their own stories animal myths of interest to them. If that's something that you're interested in, in either sharing your personal story, encounter with a supernatural animal, an animal ghost, or if there's an animal myth or legend that really captivates you that you would either like me to cover or that you would like to tell on the air, as it were, please do reach out and let me know because I would love to collaborate with some of you. You're just such wonderful, engaged listeners. Of course, you'd be more than welcome to share your stories or to even guest star on the podcast. So if you're interested, please shoot me an email at afraidofthebarkpodcast at gmail.com. On social media, you know where to find me. It's A-Y-A-O-T-B podcast. That's the Facebook group. On Instagram is Afraid of the Bark Podcast and on Twitter at Afraid of the Bark. So you can always reach out to me with any ideas for collaboration or something you'd like to see me cover, your thoughts, your feedback, just to say hello. Reach out to me through any of those avenues. I'm always happy to hear from you. You, my listeners, are just about my favorite people. So thank you for joining me for this episode 20. Hopefully the next 10 episodes as we travel through the roaring 20s of Are You Afraid of the Bark podcast are lots of fun and provide you with the occasional chill down your spine. That's what I'm always looking for is for us to have a good time together and so maybe even give you a little bit of a spook. So thank you very much for joining me today. I look forward to hanging out again next week and I will conclude this episode 20 as I always do by simply wishing you sweet dreams tonight. Ha, ha, ha.